and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Hello and welcome to You've Got to Read This. In this episode, we are going to feature five books by five female authors with origins from around the globe, including Egypt, Jamaica, India, Poland, and Turkey. Their stories take us to places like Cairo, the Caribbean, Mumbai, Cyprus, and a small hamlet in Poland. Let's begin. From time to time, we highlight bookstores that we think our listeners should visit. The book we're about to recommend is a memoir about a bookstore owner, so we're going to recommend both a book and a bookstore. In 2002, Nadia Wasif, her sister Hind, and their friend Nihal co-founded Dewan, Cairo, Egypt's first modern bookstore. Nadia Wasif's memoir, entitled Shelf Life, Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller, is the author's recollection of the bookstore's 20-year history. The book focuses on the many challenges they face navigating business in a religiously conservative country, all while managing staff in multiple stores and satisfying customer demands. As if that weren't enough to juggle, the author discusses the additional challenges of marriage and motherhood. The memoir takes the reader from the initial conception of the bookstore to the opening of the flagship store and to its expansion to 10 different bookstore locations. Michelle, you and I devoured this book and enjoyed it immensely. We did. You know, the book gives you a little bit of everything. You get a history lesson on Egypt, an examination of Egyptian culture, politics, and religion, and even a day-to-day life of a bookseller, business owner, mother, Mm -hmm. wife, business owner, (laughs) sister, all wrapped up in one. You know, on the one hand, this book addresses issues that are uniquely Egyptian, while on the other hand, it addresses things that are universal like owning a small business, employee-employer relationships, and the stresses and pleasures of everyday life. So talk about some of the things Nadia and her business partners deal with that are uniquely Egyptian. Mm. Well, for one, the three women had to hire a male assistant to conduct some business transactions on their behalf, or at least alongside them. For women to interact directly with men in certain transactions would be just culturally inappropriate. Censorship was also another obstacle that they had to contend with. In one particular incident, as you'll recall, the author is contacted by her freight forwarders informing her that a shipment of books from the UK was being held in customs because of a book containing material deemed, quote, offensive to public morals. She was asked to report to a governmental office right away to discuss the content of the book. So she immediately contacted her attorney and brought her male assistant to attend the meeting with the government officials. A situation that could have resulted in severe penalties for the bookstore turned comical and will make most readers laugh out loud. I won't reveal the title (laughs) of the book. You know which one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But this offending book is known by a wide Western audience and one in which the title was taken literally by the Egyptian censors, but is really just a play on words. So again, won't tell you the book title, but you've got to read this book in order to get your own laugh out of it. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You didn't warm to Nadia's personality at the start of the book, but she grew Mm -hmm. on you midway. 
I enjoyed her from the start. She is strong, direct. She's unafraid, mm-hmm. unapologetic. And sometimes she can be shockingly blunt and can come across as abrasive and and other people's view of her at times probably push the envelope of acceptability. The author writes of herself, quote, Hind, Nihal, and I were three very different managers. I am not good at people, end quote. She then goes on to say, quote, If Dewan's success had been dependent on my ability to win friends and influence others, we would have failed miserably, end quote. <laughs> I think what I appreciate about her is that she recognizes her strengths and she's very aware and conscious of her deficits. And I think that self-awareness I found to be a strength. And the three women together run this bookstore with their own unique personalities, their own strengths, and wildly different skill sets. And together, they have created this incredible bookstore. Right. Well, they balance each other out. The three of them combined is what makes it work. And there was this moment, similar to, to the one you had discussed, there was a moment I really enjoyed. She and her partners were approached by a businessman proposing to franchise their bookstore. Mm-hmm. So they take a meeting with this man. Uh, he shows up to the bookstore, and Nadia reaches out her hand to introduce herself and shake his, and he shakes his head and said, I don't shake hands with women. Without missing a beat without batting an eye to his religious conservatism she says well how about a hug then yeah (laughs) i just i love her sassy personality and the brazen way she expressed her distaste but in a humorous manner yeah i chuckled when i read that line how offensive for him to recognize their business as worthy of franchising but mm. not to treat them as equals during a business transaction. It was ludicrous. So, of yeah. course, she responded with something equally as ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, that was an example, too, that even in the face of adversity, these three women rose to the challenge and worked within and around the system to build a successful and rewarding enterprise. And I have to just comment and take a sidestep that we're highlighting a lot of, mo- of moments in this memoir that are specific to Egyptian culture. Mm-hmm. But there really is a universality to Nadia Wasef's story. And you and I talked, too, about where would you shelf this book in a bookstore? It can fall under so many different categories. It can be filed under the business section, the family and relationship section, culture or current events. I mean, honestly, there is something for everyone in this book. If you've ever been an employee or a manager, a business owner, a mother, a wife, then you've got to read this. Yeah. And there's so many important issues she addressed, and I think that's what I liked a lot about there. There's so many layers to it. She talks about the importance of risk and failure and the lessons mm-hmm. we learned from both of those things and surviving through political turmoil. They're just trying to run their business. And my God, what was going on in the country over the, the, that course of 20 years um, was quite something. And, mm-hmm. and dealing really with an ever-changing world, both as an individual and as a small business. Right. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. And at the end of the day... This is a memoir about Nadia Wasef's passion for literature and I think the significance that bookstores play in a community. Mm-hmm. The book, again, is entitled Shelf Life, Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller by Nadia Wasef. It was published in 2021 by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. The author's first name is spelled N-A-D-I-A. Her last name is spelled W-A-S-S-E-F. Renee, I know how much you loved Michael Christie's novel Greenwood, which we featured in our first episode, so I think you're really going to love 
the novel Black Cake hmm. by Charmaine Wilkerson. Interesting. Like Greenwood, Black Cake is a multi-generational story whose family history and secrets catch up to future generations. Author Charmaine Wilkerson delivers an expansive family saga covering three generations, multiple continents, and long-held secrets that are meant to protect others from harm, but whose byproduct is pain and misunderstandings. In the opening pages, Eleanor Bennett has died, and her dying wish was to reunite her adult children who haven't spoken in years, in part because of the deeply held secrets she has kept from them their whole lives. Siblings Byron and Benny are asked to listen to a recorded oral history prepared by their mother, revealing their mother's shocking life story, as well as their ancestral past. By the end of the recording, she tells them, they should know when it is time to share the traditional Caribbean black cake she's made for them now waiting in her freezer. The chapters rotate between the deceased mother's recording and her children's individual stories, both of their childhood memories and of more recent events in their lives. As the story progresses and gains depth, additional characters are introduced, whose stories add critical relevance to the Bennett family history, making this novel as imaginative as it is well-developed. As the Bennett children listen to their mother's recording, readers are taken on a journey from the Caribbean to London and eventually to the west coast of the United States. Spanning more than 70 years, Eleanor Bennett's story is one of friendship and loneliness, love and despair, strength and weakness. The secrets she has kept for all of her adult life are so big, so consequential, that they've threatened her very identity. Through the act of telling her story on her deathbed, she unburdens herself and hopes to break the cycle of secrecy for her children. In summary, the characters are as diverse as the themes. Within this one novel are several supporting narratives about immigration, the environment, and even long-distance ocean swimming. There are stories of first love, friendship, ancestry, and a mysterious death in the Caribbean that sets off a chain of events. I enjoyed this novel for its vastness, and I admired the author's ability to tell the story of seven or so different characters without losing focus on her protagonist. Author Charmaine Wilkerson is an American writer from a multicultural family who was raised in both Jamaica and New York. As a former journalist whose writing has been published in UK and US anthologies, Black Cake is her first novel. It was published by Ballantine Books in February of 2022, so it's hot off the press, and already a New York Times bestseller, and is slated for a Hulu series. You've got to read this. Our next book today is a novel entitled The Island of Missing Trees by Elif Shafak. The story takes place in the late 2010s and follows a 16-year-old British girl named Ada who lives in England with her father. Eleven months prior to the start of the story, Ada's mother died, and Ada is now, for the most part, struggling with her grief alone. Her father hasn't been present for her because he's unable to deal with his own grief, and he's withdrawn into himself. Ada's father is an ecologist and spends all of his free time tending to the garden in their backyard. He pays particular loving attention to a small fig tree he brought as a sapling from Cyprus to England many years ago. Ada and her father have no extended family in England. Though Ada was born in England, her parents were both originally from Cyprus and immigrated to England before she was born. Ada doesn't know much about either side of her family. 
What little she does know is that her father comes from a Greek Catholic family and her mother came from a Turkish Muslim family. Ada herself has never visited Cyprus, nor has she ever really been inquisitive about her family history. Two things happen in the novel, however, that inspire her curiosity. One, a project at school is assigned about family ancestry, and two, Ada's Aunt Miriam, her mother's sister, is coming to visit them from Cyprus. During her visit, Aunt Miriam begins to unfold the family history. It's a history no one ever shared with her. The story then brings the reader back to Cyprus in 1974, when Ada's father and mother first met and fell in love. As the story moves forward, we're taken back and forth between the past and present as Ada learns her family's history. One of the many things I found enjoyable about this novel is that the author created a very special and most unusual character, and that is the fig tree Ada's parents brought with them as a sapling when the couple moved from Cyprus to England. The fig tree in the story is sentient, meaning it is conscious and it shares its thoughts in its own dedicated chapters with the reader. And the tree, though it can't move and can't speak, does the only thing it can do, observe and remember. It is the keeper of history, memory, and truth. The original tree that this sapling came from spent many years standing in the middle of a beloved tavern in Cyprus, with its branches and leaves romantically extending over all of the customers dining at their tables. The fig tree shares its memories watching Ada's parents as they fall in love over clandestine meetings in a quiet corner of the tavern. It's a beautiful love story threatened by a country on the eve of civil war. Learning about history through fiction is one of my favorite things, and I love how in this novel, the fig tree is not only the keeper of Ada's parents' history, but also carries the memory of Cyprus' history. If you look up the island country of Cyprus on Google Maps, as you zoom in, you'll notice two thin red lines that run parallel with each other horizontally across the entire country. The area between those two lines is a United Nations demilitarized buffer zone that is still in existence today, patrolled and guarded by the UN. The buffer zone separates northern Cyprus, occupied by Turkish Cypriots, from southern Cyprus, occupied by Greek Cypriots. The story of Ada's parents, of course, is tied into this complicated conflict between two ethnic and religious cultures. This is an incredibly rich story. In addition to this book, I highly recommend all of Elif Shafak's novels. Her writing is so compassionate, enlightening, and moving. The novel, again, is entitled The Island of Missing Trees. It was published by Penguin Viking in 2021. The author's first name is spelled E-L-I-F. Her last name is spelled S-H-A-F-A-K. I would really like to read this book. I enjoyed her novel entitled 10 Minutes, 38 Seconds in This Strange World. I think it was published in 2019. And Elif Shafak's books often center around marginalized people, cultural conflicts, and familial relationships. She forces you to look at people who are often overlooked or ignored by society, even preyed upon by society. Um, so yeah, I'll be adding this one on my to-read pile. I would encourage listeners to Google Elif Shafak. She's an incredibly courageous woman. She is originally from Turkey and was put on trial there in 2006 after being charged with, quote, insulting Turkishness based on the content of her novel, The Bastard of Istanbul. 
The crime of insulting Turkishness is pretty vague and is simply defined as denigrating Turkey or denigrating Turkishness. This is still a crime in the country and is a very vague charge often used to intimidate authors, professors, journalists, and civil rights activists. The content of the novel Bastard of Istanbul talks about sexual abuse. It also talks about a historic event and act of genocide that occurred in Turkey's history. Elif Shafak was eventually acquitted and now lives in England where she continues to write novels. Our next book is a new novel by author Thridi Umragar entitled Honor. In the novel, protagonist Smita Agarwal is an Indian-American journalist. She is a foreign correspondent who travels the world reporting on women's issues in war-torn countries. At the beginning of the story, Smita receives a call from her American friend and colleague, Shannon, who lives in and reports from India. Shannon has been hospitalized and asks Smita to fly to India to help her. Smita hasn't been to India since she, her brother, and parents immigrated to the United States when she was a young teenager. She doesn't like India. She doesn't like the intense congestion, the heat, the corruption, and attitudes towards women. Reluctant to return to India, but feeling obligated to help her friend, Smita books a flight to Mumbai. Upon her arrival at the hospital, Smita learns that Shannon hasn't asked her to come to India to aid in her recovery, but rather to complete a very important story she's been reporting on. Shannon's story involves an honor killing. An honor killing is the murder of a family member or outsider by someone who's trying to protect or defend their perceived honor, or that of their family. Shannon had been reporting on a court case in which a young mother and widow, courageously and with little precedent, had sued her two Hindu brothers for the murder of her Muslim husband. In some parts of India, Muslims are considered lower caste than Hindus. The brothers are angry and offended that their sister has married a man without their permission and to a man whom they do not see as their equal. They believe that their sister and her husband should be punished for defying these customs. Smita finds herself in the middle of India, filled with conflicted feelings. She doesn't want to be in the country, she has unresolved issues about her homeland, and is now facing this brutal story that represents the ugliest parts of a country she would rather leave in her past. Accompanied by Shannon's male friend Mohan, the two travel to rural India in advance of the judge's ruling. Shannon asks Smita to interview the young widow, her lawyer, the widow's brothers, and the village elder. Legal cases like this are rare in India, and a ruling in the widow's favor could send shockwaves throughout the country. I really like this novel. It's profoundly moving. There are several unexpected turns in the story. It has such an engaging and propulsive pace. It's a novel about returning home. It's about the fine lines and boundaries of journalism and personal involvement. It's about no single place being all good or all bad. Evil and kindness appear everywhere and in all forms. It's also about confronting your fears and reevaluating one's biases. I loved Smita's character, but I also really liked Mohan's character. He adds some levity to the grave situation that is this story. And I liked the slow evolution of their friendship that blossoms as they learn to trust and rely on each other. I'd say you've got to read this book if you enjoy cross-cultural stories with characters who are grappling with who they are while overcoming some conflict. 
Like the novel's protagonist, the author, Thridi Umragar, is an award-winning reporter and journalist. She has written 10 books, most notably The Space Between Us, published in 2005. She was born in Bombay, India, and came to the U.S. at the age of 21. Currently, she is a professor in the Department of English at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio. Thridi Umragar's first name is spelled T-H-R-I-T-Y. Her last name is spelled U-M-R-I-G-A-R. Her newest book is entitled Honor. It was published in 2022 by Algonquin. Our final book today is a literary mystery entitled Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Polish author Olga Tokarczuk. The story takes place in present-day Poland in a small hamlet near the Czech border. At the center of the story is Janina. She's an older, retired woman who lives in a small cottage in the woods. She is single, lives alone, and enjoys a vibrant cerebral and internal life, spending her days translating William Blake poems and working on astrological charts. Janina prefers solitude, being unimpressed and underwhelmed by almost everyone she interacts with. Also, people annoy her. She also has derogatory nicknames for everyone she interacts with. Most of the cottages in Janina's small community are only occupied in the summer months. Only two of Janina's neighbors live in their cottages through the winter. She has nicknamed them Oddball and Bigfoot. When the story begins, it is the middle of the night in the dead of winter, and Janina awakes to pounding on her front door. It is her neighbor, Oddball. He is distraught, informing her he just went to their neighbor Bigfoot's house and found him dead on the living room floor. A short time after Bigfoot's death, a police officer is found dead in a well. Both deaths are mysterious and unusual, leading people to wonder if there is a murderer amongst the people of the small hamlet. Frustrated by the incompetence of the police and feeling like they aren't doing enough to address both deaths, Janina takes matters into her own hands. But when Janina's clues lead her to suggest that perhaps the two men were killed by wild animals, neighbors dismiss her theories as the musings of a silly eccentric. This book is a delicious mystery crafted by Olga Tokarczuk. The character development and insights into human behavior are incredible and the book has unexpected twists with a satisfying ending. What makes this book so captivating is the complexity of the main character, Janina. I found it so refreshing to have an older female character as a protagonist in a mystery. The author also creates such a vivid portrayal of a rural setting in that you can't pick your neighbors and you can't pick the people who live in your small community. You get who you get in a small town and you have to figure out how to negotiate life within this existing milieu. And finally, the author really captures the isolation of rural winters. Yeah, this novel is delightfully unique and a great addition to the noir genre of murder mysteries. The thing, though, that makes this novel so brilliant can't be discussed on the podcast because it would reveal too much. You know, it'd be a bit of a spoiler. Um, what I will say is that it's a smart novel that forces you to examine human behavior in a different lens. Book clubbers, you've got to read this. If for any reason other than you need to have someone that you can talk with about this book. It's quirky and it's dark and it will inspire great debate at your next book club gathering. 
The book again is entitled Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Nobel Prize winning author Olga Tokarczuk. The book was published in the U.S. in 2019 by Riverhead Books. Six out of nine of Olga Tokarczuk's novels have now been translated into English. Her most recent novel, The Book of Jacob, was released in the U.S. in February of 2022. The author's first name is spelled O-L-G-A. Her last name is spelled T-O-K-A-R-C-Z-U-K. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we discussed today can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale that goes to the production of this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd appreciate it if you give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.